0: Welcome to the LTG Live Podcast, a podcast focused on the topics and issues most relevant to leadership in youth ministry. We hope you end this episode feeling equipped and inspired to take your leadership to the next level.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to LTG Live. Peter Reeves, my co-host. How are you, my friend?
0: What are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Look good. I feel like you got a haircut since the last time we were on the stream.
0: Mm-hmm. Earlier this morning. Early, early, early this morning. morning.
1: There you go. Love it, man. I said,
0: I'm going on LTG. I got to be smooth.
1: I got to have a cut. Old headphones again, you know, so let's get the
0: people. <laughs> this is me forgetting my, my AirPods at home, man. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, listen, a bunch of you logging on right now. Welcome again to LTG Live. It is a live stream first. It is a podcast then second, which you can always find on Apple, on Spotify. Um, you can also find it on the Lead the Generation website. And um, so if you're listening live, welcome to the conversation. Go ahead. Jump into the comments. Yes. Tell us who you are. Uh, tell us where you're watching from. Ricky, we see you. You're the first one to comment today. Ricky, we love you, bro. And uh, we're glad that you're with us today. Um, Peter, I got just just a fun question. I feel like people in the audience, they just want to know like this from, from your life, like your upbringing, right? Because you And you grew up in Philly, right? A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah, grew- yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So here's my question for you real quick. Um, What was the name of your first car?
0: Know,
1: like, like what, how you named your cars or I- even if you did. So, so tell yep. the people what they need to know. Okay,
0: They're going to judge me, but it's okay. It was a Mitsubishi Galant 2005. It was cherry red and her name was Shaniqua. She oh. was just, she was fiery. I was like, let me get in the Shaniqua. So I just, yeah, man, that, that was her name. My mom was like, why would you pick that? And I was like, Mom, don't try to control me, you know so. <laughs>
1: is your is your wife, is your wife okay with that? It's it's good. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's good. I crashed it 3 months later. Yeah,
1: okay. So she was happy
0: <laughs> At that point. And then, right, and then I got a black Mitsubishi Galant and I named him Carl cuz I was like he's a dude, he's a little rusty. I was like Carl, you know. <laughs> crashed him a year later. Um and then I had uh, a Toyota Corolla. Which uh, just went nameless. I did what uh, I did what uh, what what's that church out there? Erwin uh, McBanis. What's the name of the church? Uh, Mosaic. Uh, Mosaic, Mosaic. They did an unknown conference. I was like, Yeah, this car is just unknown, it's mysterious. No one, no one, <laughs> even, no one even needs to know. <laughs> There's a Toyota Corolla. I was like, this car is just unknown. There's no name to this conference or this car, you
1: know. So good. So good. What was yours? What was yours? Oh man, dude, I had a terrible like white Plymouth horizon hatchback, something or other um that would never start in the rain it, it wouldn't start in the rain yeah it was it was the weirdest thing i'm not even i couldn't i didn't even name it but like yeah. it, if it rained at all then the car wouldn't start so you, i had to check the weather all the time and then and then if i knew it was going to rain later in the day when i wanted to drive then i had to go out and and let it just sit in the driveway and run non-stop until it warmed up It was the weirdest thing dude i don't even that
0: know. sounds like a luxury
1: <laughs> that, yeah. I had a I had an AM radio. That's it, just AM radio in that thing, dude. That was it was amazing. Just AM. Just AM. No, there's no FM because that that was like the next upgrade. We couldn't afford that.
0: Okay. okay. All right. Cool. I never <laughs> even heard of that before, but wow. You, know, you probably never even listened to AM radio. You
1: didn't even know what it, what it is. You're like, nah.
0: What? I don't even know how to get to it, man. For real. I don't
1: like radio and all that
0: stuff. <laughs> Dude, we're going to have a great conversation today. Yes, uh, yes, in a minute,
1: man. We will introduce uh, Jeremy Donovan, who is our guest today. And um, so a bunch of you are logging on right now. We're glad you're with us. Um, go ahead and do us a, a favor and drop in the chat where you're watching from and uh, even share it, too. Uh, Ricky, we see you, your first car, the Volkswagen GTI 1989. Let's go. Woo! Good. That's really good. Um, we're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, Next week, evangelist Jamie Paul is going to be with us on uh, the live stream and uh, Jamie travels the world, the nation, uh, preaching and teaching on generosity in particular. And so he's going to have some incredible principles and insight for us uh, on how to live generous lives. And so I'm excited for that conversation, which is going to be great. Um, And then uh, just want to remind you. Um, that uh, the LGG Live is brought to you by World Serve International. And uh, Peter and I love these guys. We both have lots of personal connection with them and what they do, making a difference in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Over 790 million people that don't have access to clean drinking water and WorldServe is making a huge difference. And so if you're not connected with them, we'd encourage you, go to their website, WorldServeIntl.org. Uh, check out who they are. Uh, what they do, um, they're going to be great. So, hey, Peter, introduce our guest, uh, Jeremy Donovan, uh, to us. Uh, it's going to be an incredible conversation. And youth pastors, those of you that are listening in, uh, Jeremy's going to share a bit of a story, but also some real practical tips for how we can help students that are going through incredibly difficult issues. You're going to want to take lots of notes today. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really good.
0: Yeah, I don't really know Jeremy like that, but I followed him from, for a long time uh, as a young youth pastor. You know, here's a guy who's absolutely crushing it. Um, and is known, uh, not just throughout our fellowship, but throughout the world as one of the premier youth pastors. And now he's doing different things that we're going to hear about. Uh, But he's incredible, always led at a high level. Actually, he doesn't even know this. The last time I heard him speak live was at National Fine Arts in Kentucky. Like, what? Kentucky? And uh, he just crushed it, man. He was killing it with fine arts in his group at the time. But he's just amazing, and he makes disciples, and we're glad to have him on the stream today. Put your hands together, Jeremy Donovan, people. What's popping? Let's
1: go. How are you Good, guys?
2: Man.
1: Good to see you, bro.
2: Good to see uh, you. Everyone
1: watching right now, drop a hello in the chat. And then also, yes. um, we we normally say show Jeremy some love, but Peter and I are already jealous
0: because you got palm trees
2: behind
0: <laughs> you. So like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you don't have to flex on us like that, bro. We get it. <laughs> <Seriously>.
2: <laughs> <I> was, uh, <laughs> well, I'm at a hotel and I was trying to find a quiet place that I didn't have to wear a mask. And, and basically, that's outside. So um so that's where i'm at right now and yeah yeah and, we uh, believe you yeah sure yeah sure well, yeah, it's I actually just a zoom background i just did a zoom background that's yeah. it I, was, I, was,
1: I was in florida i know peter's from michigan and aaron's from pennsylvania and i just wanted him to show what the other half of the world is living <laughs> like
2: right now you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. yeah i'm actually yeah, but, from dallas so i just got out of snowmageddon and, and hopped on down <laughs> here Yeah.
1: This is is like a huge blessing to you to actually like, you know, be free from like the winter freeze down there. But
2: yeah, yeah. it was, it was cold for a minute and we don't know how to do that in Texas, man. So, but yeah, I'm I'm down at Palm Beach at a, at a pastor's round table trying to learn some stuff and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a hard place to have a meeting. It's just tough. So
1: Peter, we going right now. I'm sending you a ticket. <laughs> we're, we're
0: uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I got my sunscreen. I'm good to go. <laughs> I, go. I
2: keep looking for Donald. I know President Trump lives like five miles from here, but I don't. I haven't seen him yet.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna he pop in. He's gonna say hello. He's gonna say yeah, hello. Yeah, right. So, well, sorry for Karen, up the Thanks name. So you know thanks, um, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Um, appreciate you squeezing us into. Um, you know what you're calling a pastor's round table we really know it's just vacation but it's it's yeah. cool we love you anyway yeah right yeah, i mean yeah, i do yeah. the same
0: thing when i tell people i'm like man give to my ministry i yeah. got to feed hungry kids my <laughs> hungry kids yeah exactly. it's the same thing
2: yeah buy my book <laughs> this please is yeah. so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is so. so this is so true so true um well i well, we're just glad we're glad you're joining us um i yeah. i'm glad you're here cuz i feel like you're my twin brother and so i found yeah her right up with me against Bald peter guys or night yeah. yeah come on let's go um but we're excited to have you on today and, and you and i kind of getting to know one another and we were putting together this conversation and really wanted to dial in on parts of your life story and just you know the redemptive part of what god has done in your life and also how you've been able to use that to minister to students students that are struggling. Yeah lots of incredible diff, diff, incredibly difficult issues, addiction and depression and discouragement and mental health and so many different things. And um, so we're excited, Peter and I, just to kind of pick your brain. And I know there's a lot of youth pastors listening in today um, yeah. that are looking forward to just um, not only the, the inspirational part of your life story, but also like, hey, how do I do this? Boy, it can be hard. It can be really hard um, struggling and, and wrestling with students and some of these issues. So I want to kick it right to you, Jeremy, and I just wanted to give yeah. you... Opportunity to uh, take a couple minutes and 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 share maybe like the spark notes version of some of the big yeah. points in life, um, and then Peter and I are excited to just converse with you and ask questions and, and walk through some practical tips that you've prepared uh, to help us as youth pastors. So yeah, for sure. Anyway, bro, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, actually, um, it's great to be with you guys. So thankful for both of you and and you know you guys as leaders and just honor to be on with you guys today. But uh, I'm also like Pastor Peter. I'm a I'm a Philly boy. I grew up in Philadelphia um, area. Yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't no. know this either.
1: This is yeah. great. Yeah. So,
2: where did you grow I was, up? Uh, um, I grew up mostly in Lansdale, and then spent a lot of time okay. in South South Philly and Columbus Avenue, and okay uh, Kensington a little bit. So, just kind of all you just over. just from
0: but here to here, bro.
2: Yeah, just riding the trains. <laughs> so you just jumped. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia area most of my life. Uh, pastor's kid. But, um, you know, I just, I was one of those PKs that I just got real angry at the church and, um, angry at people, had some tough things happen to me as a kid. Um, not from my family. Actually, my, my mom and dad are amazing, man. Like just amazing pastors and and good people, but, um, so about 13, 14 years old, I just started getting into drugs and drinking and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, by 16, 17, just, re- you know, I'm trying to go through it quick. 16, 17, um, I had left the church. I moved out of my house at 18 years old, um, and I was just running the streets in Philly. Uh, and, and basically all the bad stuff that came with addictions came with my life. Uh, by 19 years old, I was a teen, teen father. Um, I was in and out of mental institutions. I've I'd, I'd seen seven mental institutions as, as a young person. Um, I got saved in a mental institution. So you can, Jesus will find you anywhere. Um, but I was I was just running the streets. Uh, I had a really bad drug addiction most of my life. Uh, most of that time of my life, about 10 years of my life was was just covered in addiction and everything that came with it. Um at 21 years old, I had had a brain aneurysm. I was doing so much cocaine that my brain actually exploded. Um, they don't know how I lived through it. I had brain surgery, uh, at 21. I actually I needed to live in Philadelphia because at the time the university of Pennsylvania was the only uh, hospital in the nation that did the surgery that I needed. Uh, because where my brain had exploded, it was in the center of my brain. So they actually had to go up through my leg in through my heart into my head. Um, And they tied off that part of my brain with platinum coils. So if I wasn't in Philly, I wouldn't have lived. So in a way, uh, God just plans your journey. Even when you're not, when you're running from him, it's like he knows where to have you, even when you're running from him. And uh, I remember going to that surgery. They told me I wasn't going to live. They were surprised I lived too, because usually when when the aneurysm explodes, um, you die instantly. And so they didn't know why they were talking to me or anything. And so they pretty much told me it was going to be a, a long shot that I would live through the surgery. And I remember praying to God in that moment. And I just said, God, if, if you let me live through this, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And um, I went through the surgery, about six months recovery. I had to learn how to walk, talk, all that kind of stuff again. Mm. Um, I'm actually still peripherally blind from it. So when they tied off that part of my brain, I lost different things. I learned most of it, but I still can't see out the side. It's like a horse almost with the blinders. That's my that's my visual cortex, I guess, is what they call it. Um, and so, uh, kids in youth ministry always thought it was funny. They would like throw balls at my head and stuff. And I'm like, hey, "You're making fun of a disabled guy. <laughs> like, this isn't cool." But uh, you know, um, but it's cool. Uh, my wife likes it. She she always jokes that it's it's. She knows, you know, it helps me with lust. She knows when I'm looking, so I have to turn my head to look anywhere. So I keep my blinders on. But uh, you know, all jokes aside, like I just I went through this six month recovery. And then um, when I got out of the hospital, it was probably about um, three weeks later and I was back on drugs back in the streets. And I remember my neurosurgeon just like, what are you doing, man? Like God saved your life. He was a Christian actually, which was awesome. And he's like, now you're just back at it. And I didn't understand it. And that's when I actually like really started kind of going crazy um I actually thought I don't know why but I pictured God back then as like a dictator and um I really thought that because I broke my promise God wanted to take my life. Um and so I started going into this like really actually crazy like when's god going to kill me because I broke my promise type mm. type thing and um probably uh, about 8 months after my surgery Um, I just, I just gave up and I was like, I don't, I don't want God to kill me. So I'm going to kill myself. And, um, I had sold pills to, to, uh, cover my addiction costs. And, um, I took about 200 pills and I sat down on my couch and I just waited to die. And, um, in, in that moment was the first time I can say, I think I actually heard God speak to me as a father. And he just said, what are you doing? I mean, I literally heard that. And I know it wasn't the drugs. (laughs) And so I was like, God, I just, I can't live up to your expectations. I just can't do it. I don't know how to live for you. I don't know how to make it work. And I'm just over it, you know? And and so I'm gonna take my life before you do. And I heard the Lord speak to me that moment. He said, it's not about the promises you make to me. It's about the promise that I made to you. And I sent my son to die for your sins. And when you accept that, it doesn't matter about your promises. You just get to accept my promise. And um, I just really began to take that. So I called the cops. I actually knew where I lived (laughs) because I I dealt a lot in the area. So, um, you know, a bunch of them came. I knew the officer that – the first officer that came through the door knew me um, because uh, I'd been involved with, uh, you know, hanging out with him often. He would pick me up on the streets and stuff. And so – um, they put me back in the mental institution, Norristown building 50. I was looking at some charges because, um, I had a lot of drugs in, the, in my house. Um, but, um, grace was just all over the place. And the judge, um, they kept me in the mental institution for a few months and I went into uh, solitary confinement, uh, which is 23 hours in the cell, one hour out. So 23 hours a day, I was by myself and I was just, it was crazy, you would think you would go nuts in a place like that, and you can, it's very possible, but I was just soaking in Jesus's love. I mean, it was the first time I really began to experience the love of Jesus. And so um, after a few months in there, they they released me, believe it or not, it's kind of funny, um, they released me to West Palm Beach, which is where I'm at right now, um, wow. to go to a rehab center here. Um, and uh, that was 20 years ago this year that that I man. went to that rehab center. And while I was there, um, you know, it was just, it was a crazy time. And I, I had been in a mental institution for, you know, quite a few months. And so I, you don't sleep well in those places because there's crazy yeah. people in there. And, uh, so I remember getting to this rehab that was on the beach and I was like, man, like, and I just crashed. And when I woke up, there was this huge six foot three black guy standing over me. And he was like, does anybody told you they love you today? And, uh, <laughs> I, I was like, God, if you let me live through this, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. But um, <laughs> so, but I was like, no, sir. And he's like, well, I do. Jesus does. Now get up and make your bed. And he did that for like three weeks. Every morning, he wake me up. Anybody told you they love you today? I'm like, no, sir. He said, well, I do. Jesus does. Now get up and make your bed. And um, finally, I was like, dude, I'm tired of this. Like, I don't like making my bed. This is weird. This dude wakes me up like this all the time. So I got up and I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, like, this is weird that you're doing this every week and every day. And why do you, why do I got to make my bed? And so he went into it. And he's like, I tell you, I love you. Cause I do. I tell you, Jesus loves you. Cause he does more. I tell you to make your bed because drug addicts don't do anything normal in their life. And that's the first normal thing you can do. And mm. so that's why I do those things. And then he looked at me and he was like, why are you so angry? Um, you know, he's like, you come from a good family your mom and dad are pastors they're like sending you money like trying to help you like why are you so angry and um i don't know why but in that moment i just felt like i could tell somebody so for the first time in my life i was like you want to know why i'm angry it's because um when i was a kid about 9 years old i used to go visit my grandmother in cleveland we didn't have in Pennsylvania. So we went to vacation in Cleveland. I didn't know that you were supposed to go on vacation, like places your family members don't live until like later on in life. Like we just always went where family was. And so uh, my grandmother owned a bar in the area in Cleveland. Uh, they were bar owners and they lived above it. And from about nine to 13, there was a close friend of the family that would abuse me as a kid. And it brought this anger into my life that I couldn't tell anybody. I started using drugs to cover up that anger and that abuse and, and those type of things. And um, I just didn't want to feel the pain anymore. And then my choices, like you know, like I said, I was, I was a teen father at 19. Uh, the government took my rights away to see that child. Um, I still haven't seen him in 22 years. That's part of my restoration story. I pray for the day that we're restored. Um, so I had all this anger that from the choices I made. So choices that people made against me. And then choices I made brought this this anger that I just didn't want to feel. And and if you know anything about drugs, that's all it is. It's just self-medication. It's just medicating yourself so that you don't feel the pain of what you've been through. So anyway, he told me the story of blind Bartimaeus. Um, And in that story, in Mark chapter 10, it actually says um, that, you know, he cried out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he threw off his cloak. I know probably most of you have read that. Um and and this guy looked at me in that room, he said, most people miss that cloak. Um he said there was a reason behind that cloak. Back then your cloak mattered. Um if you were a businessman, you had a certain color cloak. If you were in royalty, you had a certain color cloak, if you were tax collector, you had a certain color cloak. And you actually had to go before a court um and prove that you had the right to beg. You had to prove that you were blind or that you were disabled, and they would give you a cloak that you wore on the streets. And that meant you were, um, a beggar. You had the right to beg. So when Bartimaeus threw off his cloak to go to Jesus, to be healed, he threw off his right to be beg or to, to beg. He threw off his right to beg. And then he looked at me and he said, man, you got a right to be angry. at what happened to you, you got a right to be angry at the things in your life. But if you give up that right and you go to Jesus He's gonna heal you, and so um, that's what happened, man. I just started. I sat in that room. Actually, started screaming out, "The son of David, have mercy on me!" And uh, I went. to, I went to Jesus, and I just said, "I give up my right. I give up my right to be angry at this guy. I give up my right to be angry at myself. I give up my right to be angry at my mistakes, and I give up my right to be angry at the church. I had held so much anger towards the church, um, just different things that were said against me, and." you know, religious people when you're messing up and they're just like, man, you're just messing up. You typical pastor's kid and all that kind of stuff. And I gave up all those rights, man. And, and, um, God healed me that day. And from, from that day on, um, I just took this journey to the other way, um, where I was just like, you know what, I'm going to live for him for the rest of my life. And so while I was in rehab, I reached out to a Bible school, long story short, and, went to Bible college. They let me in for free. They were crazy. And uh, I just started, started living for Jesus. And uh, that was right here in Palm beach. So it's kind of cool to be back here 20 years later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Man, I just, Mm -hmm. I can't stop thinking about the individual, the dude that, that kept telling you consistently for three days or for three weeks that he loved you, that he helped you. I I pray for leaders like that, man. Why do you think, why do you think it's so hard to, to be those kind of leaders like that guy was for you?
2: Um, you know, every day I wake up and I, I pray, Lord, help me be more like Jesus because as humans, it's really easy to get frustrated with people and quit on people, especially when they're, um, not making the right choices. You're just like, oh man, he's never going to get it right. Or she's never going to do it. You know, and and you just, you just get frustrated and you almost want to let people go, but Jesus never lets people go. Jesus is consistent in loving you no matter what. And so, I think that's the biggest thing is like if we really say we're Christians, we need to be like Jesus, which means you just don't quit on people Hmm. because of their choices, because how they react to you and youth ministry. I mean, probably most of us got into youth ministry thinking that everybody was just going to love us. And it's just not true. I mean, you just get these kids that look at you like you're an idiot and and they just hate you and you just got to keep going and consistently saying Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I love you. And as you do that consistently, you'll see the barriers break down, especially with the kids that are dealing in, in just horrible situations. You just can't quit on them. And you got to be like Jesus and be like, man, I'm there for you. I love you. And you'll see that. It, it may not be at first. I mean, I've had kids that just like, look at me like I'm cheese, man. And like, they just don't even care. They don't want nothing to do with me. and And I'm just consistently trying to break down those walls and it's crazy because then that one day hits and it's like boom and then you're they open their lives to you so yeah i love it
0: that's cool. that's cool our topic today obviously if you're just tuning in is tackling uh tough issues of youth ministry and so before we like move on further in the conversation this is for both of you what do you think are the toughest issues in youth ministry today for jeremy or aaron what do you think they are
1: you
2: want to go aaron yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you okay. go first,
1: man. I'm still captivated um, by your
2: story, man. I'm trying <laughs> to take it all in. All the time, bro. So, um, I, you know, it, it, it's crazy. It's, um, youth ministry today is just different. I mean, obviously, you just deal with so so many things. But I think identity is a, is a huge issue when these young people are trying to find their identity, and they don't know their identity in Jesus. And so, um, you know, they're finding their identity through social media or through drugs or you know, even, you know, I, I think I even found my identity when I was younger through depression. Like, well, I'm a depressed kid, you know. Um, so you, but when you start to find your identity in Jesus, that's when it really helps. So um, but, yeah, depression, everything's more accessible today than when I was a kid. And that's a really scary thing. But also Jesus can handle it. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah that's really good. What yeah, about I, you? I think- what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, that would have been my first choice, what Jeremy said, identity. Um, I think, I think the, uh, the influences are so much greater now. You know, you have a generation that is walking around with, you know, one of, one of these, you know, with them all the time. And so you you got a generation of kids that are basically constantly being influenced. There's constant voices in their life. There's, there's, there's the constant input of whoever's trying to tell them live this way or do this or like this or act, mm-hmm. act this way. Um, and that also creates the constant need in a young person's life for affirmation. So when I right. publish something or do something, someone like it, someone affirm it, someone tell me, you know, that I'm right or, or that, or that this is good. Right. And so that really does tie back into what you said, Jeremy, where you got a generation of kids that are constantly looking for who am I and what's my mm-hmm. identity. And um, the, I think they're in crisis mode um, when it comes to you know, those identity issues. That, that's at the core of a, a lot of, right. a lot of story it's really unpacking the symptoms of the core issue. Right. I don't know who I am. I, I haven't built my life on something that's stable. Um, I have built it on feelings. I built it on emotion. I built it on a false sense of identity. And so now I'm constantly experimenting with all these different external things in order to try to meet an internal need that I, that I can't seem to fill.
2: Yeah. You know?
0: Hmm.
1: So Jeremy, it's um, kind of transition here, and and let's let's just talk practically here. There's you know a bunch yeah. of you that are listening now. There's um you know there's those that are going to be watching back. Uh, you know on uh, the lead generation Facebook page or YouTube channel or maybe they're listening back on the podcast. Um, how do we do this? Let's you know the your story's unreal. Peter and I were actually texting one another during your story, like this is. <laughs> Like wow, yeah. this is amazing. I think for both of us, um, not having the opportunity to hear you unpack your story in that way, we're just kinda like, foo, this is unreal. But um one of the things we'd like to do on this live stream is is um is just try to be practical and and, and come alongside youth pastors across the country. Yeah. And say, hey, yeah. here's ways that you can, you know, yeah. help consider struggling. So um, yeah. we a list of ideas here that you gave me before. Go ahead and jump in wherever mm-hmm. you want and let's talk about each of these. And and Peter, you know, we'll hit any questions that, that you want to hit from a youth ministry perspective, but let's go.
2: Yeah. I think the first one that I would always tell people is just find where you, where they're bleeding. Um, yeah. and, and that's just what that guy did in that room for me is he actually found where I was bleeding. I mean, I was in church worlds and different things and they would always focus on the, um, the behavior versus the bleeding. So why are you doing this? Why are you doing drugs? Why are you acting out? Why are you sleeping around? Why are you doing these things instead of going, where are you bleeding? Um, and, and that's what that guy did for me. He finally just broke past the behavior and found out what was, what I was hurting. And and in that room, man, I mean, when he told me that story of Bartimaeus, I went, I was 21, 22 at the time. And I went from... Uh, twenty-two in that room to nine. I mean, it was like he. I just went right back to that hurting kid, and it's like I had never left that bleeding, hurting, abused kid. And and so I often tell kids that are acting out, you know, crazy is just like, listen, where are you bleeding? I don't need to know your whole story, you know, because a lot of times people want to just go through everything, and that can actually just even break. I'm like I don't need to know your whole story. Just tell me what you're where you're bleeding. What hurts? What have what have you hidden that you just can't tell anybody? Whether it's something you did or somebody else did, but what's making you bleed? Because that's what we need to find and let Jesus heal it. I can't heal it. Nobody else can heal it, but Jesus can heal it if you recognize it yeah. and you give it to Jesus. That's that's the hard part is just recognizing it. You know when you hide it and just like man, I'm just gonna sit here and bleed and not let anybody know. That's what really hurts you. You've got to recognize it and at least let Jesus know, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what I tell people at least talk to Jesus about it, um, you know, and, and really work on where that's bleeding. I, one of the other points I put is there's a reason to every reaction. Um, that was something that I actually learned from an old gangster dude in, in South Philly. I was working on the Italian market. And this dude was acting up on the Italian market. You'd always get that sometimes. I'm sure you've been there, Peter, there at Ninth and Washington. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, and he looked at me while this dude was acting up. And he's like, man, every, every reaction has a reason when people react to you that way or, or, you know. So it's like, especially in youth ministry, I had to learn, like, you know, when you try to bring your authority and you're like, don't do that. And they react crazy to you. I mean, I've had kids try to fight me. I had a kid punch me in the face one time you know, all kinds of just crazy stuff. And the thing you have to realize is their reaction to what you did. There's a reason. There's a reason there. They're bleeding somewhere. It's not normal for this to happen. And it's not you. That's the thing you got to remember when kids in youth ministry are dogging you and ignoring you, or they don't want to be near you. um, You can guarantee there's probably sin in their life or something that's making them do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can look at the behavior or you can go to them and sit down and say where are you bleeding man how how do i help you uh, i don't yeah. even care what you're doing i've told it to you i don't care what you do. you don't impress me i don't care what you're doing um, and you don't even frustrate me i just i just want to know how can i help you that's mm-hmm. why i'm in your yeah. life you know that's so
0: good man but, i w- i yeah. wanted to go back real quick sorry to cut you off but what Not you good. said about the what you said about the bleeding thing like all i could think about is that most leaders like they hear this point they think it's good but then they don't then when they're in the moment they realize when someone's bleeding it's messy Right? Right. Like it's super messy. And right. if you're one of those people that the environment has to look perfect or this has to be perfect for you to like make a move on what needs to happen. Like, you know, my wife is obsessed with these like Grey's Anatomy shows, or whatever. She thinks she's yeah. a doctor. People, I walk into the kitchen, <laughs> she's dissecting chickens and stuff. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? But like, you know, when when you see like things happen in the OR, like there's all this bleeding. The doctor can no longer see what they need to continue to do. The first thing they need to do right. is stop the bleeding. Stop and, like bleeding. I, think, yes. I think as leaders, if we could get that, that yes, my right. hand. Hands are going to get messy. Even the the environment we're in might get messy, but I'm going to do everything I can to stop right. this because the blood is life. It's life to you know, and even in, in situations in ministries, like mm-hmm. we have to we have to know that. Like, how right. can we not know that? You know, so yes, I really love that point. I love it, you know, yes,
1: Peter. I'll just tag on that real quick. I I just had that conversation today with with one of our leaders at our the school ministry that, that I'm that I, I served there on, on the leadership team. Um, Allison Park Leadership Academy and I we was just talking about like discipleship is messy I use that exact same phrase yeah. you, and I think we do forget that like we we have this like peaceful perfect vision of Jesus with his disciples and they just sat around and right the Bible and sang songs and you know encourage one another and you know what I mean and it's just like dude those those dudes were drama queens Peter right. was a mess Thomas didn't believe right. anything I mean, dude, I mean, it's just all drama. So I, I used to say this in youth ministry to my, when I was youth pastor full-time, I'd say to my leaders all the time that, that discipleship is found in the drama. Like, right. like just remember that discipleship is found in the, the more drama there is, the more opportunity there is yep. for discipleship. It's not easy you're a shepherd, you're going to get dirty when you're working with sheep. This is just what we do, right? It's what we do. So good, Jeremy. This is so good.
2: Yeah. And I think too, I was going to say, I I think in that too, it's a big thing I've learned on how to deal with it is, is uh, Jesus was a person that asked questions, even when he knew the answers. And, and sometimes the best way you can get, especially these hard case kids that are just dealing with stuff is to not give them your information but ask them the questions that get them to your information. Does that make sense? And so when you ask the right questions, they can answer it themselves instead of, because unsolicited information is annoying. And so sometimes you just have to ask the questions to get them to understand where they're going, you know, and and that's a good way to deal in that bleeding. I think is just, man, learn to ask the right questions. Yeah.
1: Peter, back to you. Where where, where were you going to say there a minute ago?
0: I was going to say like Remember two that uh, every reaction has a reason. It's like every reaction has a reason. And my reaction communicates how I'm going to, like my reaction right. communicates if they can trust me. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is what I've learned about, you know, I've only been in the youth ministry world for, for six years, but I'm learning that I can't react in these big grand gestures to kids that are doing crazy things or crazy situations are happening in their life. Because if I look surprised, they know I don't know how to deal with it. You yes. know what I mean? If I look overwhelmed, they're like, no, nah, this guy, he's not, because they can see right through that. And so every mm-hmm. reaction has a reason, and your reaction communicates if they can trust you.
2: you yes. know? And also, too, with that, Ooh. you don't have to relate to everything. You just have to love people. One of the worst <laughs> right. things you can do sometimes is just be like, oh, I understand when you don't. <laughs> I, I think it hit me the hardest one time. I had a I had a young person in my church that he lost his mom in a car accident, and I was like, man, I understand. I lost my grandpa at a young age and it really hurt. And he just looked at me like, you're trying to compare your grandpa to my mom, you know? And I apologized to him. I'm like, you're right. I'm so sorry, man. Like, and that taught me something. You don't always have to relate or be like, oh, I understand what you're going through. We don't have to understand what they're going through. We just have to love them. Mm -hmm. And and if you love them and you show you're there for them, I think sometimes some of the best things you can say is it's really painful. And I, I don't even know if I know a pain like that. And and uh, I'm sorry, but I'm here for you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's yeah. right to the scripture though. Even a foolish man seems wise when he's silent. <laughs> you right. know, it's just like yeah, just like they're yes. talking. And, and and when I can't relate, dude, I I'll be honest with you. This this takes when you said that phrase, it takes me all the way back to every youth leader I ever had. Then I'm like, oh yeah, my parents are like getting a divorce, and they're like, yeah, man, I get. It. I'm like, no, you don't get it, bro. <laughs> no, you don't no, understand. Yes. You know, like I remember being that student um, and and feeling those thoughts. And it's so easy when you're on this side of it now to be like, you know, I'm with it. I'm woke. And it's like, you don't have to be Mm -hmm. woke. You just have Mm -hmm. to be real. You know what I mean? Like just be real with where you are and listen to what they're saying. Um, And I probably think this is too. This is why our students are creating Finstas. This is why they're doing crazy stuff online. This is why they're naked in all their TikToks. It's because they're trying Mm -hmm. to capture somebody's attention to just listen to them, to just be able to share, yeah. hey, this is what's actually going on. This is I'm crying out for help. You know what I mean? So I really so love like them. Point number two.
2: Don't so. be woke. Yeah. yeah. Be woke.
0: <laughs> so
1: hey, let me let me just take a break here and let's just say real quick. Those of you that are joining us midstream, um, Peter and I are so honored today that we're able to talk on this topic of tackling the tough issues of youth ministry and Jeremy Donovan is our guest today. And uh, if you jumped in uh, late, you're going to want to go back and you're going to want to listen to the first half of this episode, uh, Jeremy's story. He just unpacks some powerful uh, redemptive truths of of all that God has brought him through. Uh, And at this point in the conversation, we're just talking practical steps and tips for youth pastors and youth leaders out there how yeah. to help students as they're dealing with some incredibly difficult issues. And, um, so Jeremy, you got a couple of different things for us. I want to invite you that are watching. I want to invite you to join the conversation. Um, so feel free to type your questions into the chat and as we see them come in, uh, we'll pause our conversation. We'll take your questions. We want you to be a part of this conversation, but Jeremy, let's go back to you and uh, keep working through this, uh, this list of tips that you have. Yeah. Having. Yeah.
2: Um, I think another one I put was, um, Mercy breaks bondage. Yeah. Um, Mercy can break bondages. And I think that's just something I learned in my own life and others. We talk about grace a lot, um, but mercy is so important to show. Um, Again, if you're in ministry, your biggest goal is to represent Jesus. Um, You know, a lot of times people think it's to be a good preacher, but it's your biggest goal is to represent Jesus. Anytime somebody tells Mm. me that um, I remind them of Jesus, it's like just the biggest compliment ever. Mm. I mean, you just that's how you should live your life. And Jesus is a God of mercy, you know? And, um, you know, there's been quite a few instances in my life, um, that mercy has made me who I am when I deserved the punishment, but Jesus didn't punish me. It made me love him more and not want to do it again. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times there's been moments in youth ministry and just church in general that I've seen somebody that has deserved a punishment has deserved yeah. to be kicked out of youth group has deserved to, um, be sent home from camp. You know, you always have everybody, if you have ever gone to camp, there's somebody that you want to send home from camp. Right. Yeah. And on the um, first
1: day, before you yes. even got to camp, <laughs> <laughs> <You> were, <right? laughs>
2: even when you're the guest speaker, you're like, I want to send the, How do I send that kid home? Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I've learned in those moments, some of the greatest things you can do is to sit down with them and say, this is what you deserve, but because I love you, Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to save you here. Hmm. I'm not going to send you home. I'm not going to do this. And, and then what happens is you'll see that that kid that you could have punished and, you know, fought against, and, and then you become their enemy a lot of times for me, they became my best asset. They became my best person in life. They became the the most loyal, um, you know, that's where the loyalty came in. A lot of the kid, young people that are in ministry with me now are the kids that I showed mercy to. Um, and it can break bondage in their life. And the other thing that it does is it makes you more accessible to them. Um, it makes, it, they trust you more to come to you with their problems when they've seen mercy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, So if you if you don't have kids coming to you going, man, this is my issue, you might want to publicly display mercy. Know, break bondages in people.
0: Yeah, so. just so counterintuitive to like what what we think. We're like discipline, you know, breaks bondages. Like biblical biblical study breaks bond. You know, it's like right. no mercy. Like you need to. I, I think as leaders. This Mm -hmm. is something that is on the back burner. We're not often thinking, Hey, how can I show mercy today? And even as you were speaking, I was just reminded, like, like it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. That's what I felt when you were sharing that point Um, because God does this for us every day, but we often just kind of put it to the side. Uh, right. Because we feel like, well, people should learn from their mistakes and we try right. to inflict they judgment. Need this. They
2: deserve this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness.
0: It's like, what if you yeah. got what you deserved? You know what I mean? Like, oh, what, man, what are what you
2: doing that? Yeah. You know, oh, And also, gosh. the Bible is pretty clear that you get the grace and mercy that you give. So I'm <laughs> like, man, I got to give people a lot of mercy and grace because I need it. You know, I don't, I don't, I need mercy and grace in my life. I don't deserve to be where I'm at. So I'm going to give as much mercy. I mean, obviously, there's times where you just got to set your foot down. But if there's an opportunity to show mercy, take that opportunity. I mean, it's just huge. I saw Dylan Johnson on here, by the way, too. Love you, buddy. Good to see you, man. So I, I
1: you know, I rem- I remember I, I think it was even after I had graduated from college and I was in full time ministry, but I, I just I rem- still vividly remember this moment being at an altar praying. I was prepping for a service. I think I was maybe I was prepping for a sermon or something. And just having this revelation. Um and it's just, it sounds even weird to say now, but just having this revelation of like that I needed mercy just as much as anyone mm-hmm. else. And that even though my life I've right. been pretty good and pretty solid and, and, and had some pretty solid teenage years and whatnot, mm-hmm. like that I didn't deserve to go to heaven. Right. Yeah. I earned that. And, and sometimes right. we, we need to be reminded no matter how long we have personally been in ministry. And we, really need ministry yeah. we need it. Yeah. And we're just as guilty. Yeah. The next yeah. guy, with just as much mercy as the person down the road whose, yes. whose
2: life is in a completely different state mm-hmm. than what ours is. The mercy of God. I think probably I made a lot of mistakes in my younger years in youth ministry, but probably the biggest mistake I made as a young youth pastor I was a very religious. I had so many rules for the kids and I wasn't living right. Mm. I had hidden sins. And then I'm going in the youth ministry going, well, these are what you need to do to live for Jesus, you know, and not really having any mercy at all. Yeah, and and um, I put myself on this pedestal, and I fell off of it. It hurt, man. Like it was embarrassing, you know. And some of the stuff, and so you've just yeah, you you gotta show mercy.
0: Yeah, it reminds and it'll me break of bondage.
2: Too. It'll help them. It'll break bondage.
0: Yeah, so. it reminds me of King David. Uh, obviously, we all know the Bathsheba story. We know, you know, whatever. Right. It's like that was horrible. Um, God spoke to him about it. Sent several prophets to speak to him about right. it. But he didn't lose his kingship. Right. He was still the king. Come on. Right. And and that was the mercy of God God. for men who made a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his leadership grew out of that moment, not deteriorated because God displayed mercy towards him. Yeah. My pastor
2: always says, he says, my pastor says all the time, he says, people are attracted to beauty, not information. When you can show them beauty, they'll get attracted to Jesus. If you show them information, I mean, you're attracted to beauty, not information. So the more beauty you can show them, and mercy's beautiful when you yeah. show it. come on, man. So, come I'm on. also thinking wow. of it, you know,
1: one of the things that we're wrestling with so much in our culture right now is what we've all, what we've all termed cancel culture, right? Right. And, and, you know, so there's a tendency that we want to speak against it, and, and there's good reason for that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking about what you've just said what what better response than to be people of mercy and then to be right. people of grace and, and then to not just speak against it, but to live and, and model and show a completely yes. different way, <laughs> right? This is what Christians yeah. are supposed to do. Like everything about us is supposed to be countercultural, right? Everything about us is supposed to be upside down living in comparison with the secular culture. So instead of yep. just us, us preaching against or whining and complaining mm. – cancer culture let's 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 have a revive of what you're talking about which is mercy that breaks bondage and mercy that breaks condemnation which is the root of what yes culture
2: is, is anyways right yep yeah. you're allowed to sermons live to not preach. that's what i would Come on.
1: say yeah yeah so jump back in here jeremy you got a couple more good points again for those of you that are with us live feel free to drop your questions in the chat we'd love to take them and uh, have you be a part of this conversation um but Jeremy, you've been talking with us about tackling tough issues. Yeah. You've, you've talked about, um, find where they're bleeding. Um, you've, you've reminded us that every reaction has a reason. Mercy can break bondages. Uh, here's, here's the next one. We'll talking about this. Um, they have to be willing to change in order to help them.
2: Yes. Um, and it sounds hard to say. Um, but I, I, I've learned to say it is you just can't sow your seed on, on hard ground. Um, And, and so you've got to keep loving and keep pouring, but you can't continue. So I've looked at kids and say, and and I've said in my life, Hey, listen, I love you. And I'll always be here for you, but there's nothing more I can do to help you because you're not taking my advice. Hmm. Um, Hmm. And so I've given, I've given you all the advice I can, you know, and the problem is as a pastor, when you get, start dealing with these hard cases, you can lose all of your time with your family with the people around you pouring into leaders that you need to pour into, because if there's, I'm an addict, so I can say this, if there's anything about an addict, we know how to just take people's time, money, energy, everything. We will use everything that we can. And so, um, you know, I get to a point where I'm like, I've given you all my advice. Uh, You're not listening. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go. Um, I can't give you any more advice. When I start to see you take the advice that I've already given you, um, then I can come back and pour into your life again yeah. and, and I've let people go and it sounds horrible to say but if they're not willing to change I, I never understood it in rehab they always used to say you can't change a light bulb that doesn't want to be changed and I'm like that's so stupid until I encountered a light bulb that was light bulb that was rusted into the socket and I could not get it out of there and I was like oh my gosh like that makes sense now and there's just sometimes this rust and it's just like man I'm gonna pray for you I'm gonna love you but I can't keep running to bail you out. Wow. You
0: know? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think, uh, this advice is necessary for every one of my teenage girls trying to date these boys flirt to convert. I'm like, yo, yes,
2: don't you day. can't, mm.
0: you can't change them, bro. They don't want to change.
2: Yeah. They're like,
0: if I just got him a Bible, I'm like, he won't even read it, bro. You know this. Right. Like, anyway, though, all that to say the, the frustrations yeah. of a youth pastor, you know, but no, I, I definitely, I definitely love this point. This is something I'm, I'm trying to communicate to our team mm-hmm. uh, because we end up having these incredible kids uh, that are sold out for Jesus but we don't give them the time necessary because we're focused on trying to transform these kids that don't want, they don't even want to be there. They don't want to change. Right. And it's not, we ignore them. We got to give them some energy, but then I, then you could go the entire night, the entire month, missing Mm -hmm. that kid that actually needs the encouragement, which would take them over the top dealing with a kid that doesn't even want to be there. So I love this point.
2: Yeah, it's hard.
1: Uh, Peter, I'm just, I'm going to jump on your, uh, on your dating soapbox there. I'm going to give you a good <laughs> praise. You can preach this. You can preach this, right? So I used, I used to always say, I say this to my daughters now, but I say it to my, the teenage girls in our youth ministry all the time. Uh, let Jesus make a man out of them before you decide to make a boyfriend out of them. Yeah. Right? Because cause so that's good. what we want. You know, you want to try to help them out. Yeah. It doesn't work. It never works. Never yeah. ever works. God gave um, Adam
2: a job before he gave him a woman. So come let, let, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Get a, get a boy with a J O B, right? Because, yes. Because swagging and not pay Taco Bell, <laughs> he's
2: got to be able to pay your rent. That's what I tell my daughter. <laughs> so. Let's go.
1: Let's go. <laughs> okay. So, so one more here. Um, I like this point a lot too. I think we'll have some good discussion, maybe even some questions from those that are watching. Um, but get them into serving and leading. And I think this one in particular, I catch yeah. people off guard because you know a lot of our traditional philosophy towards discipleship is like, let's get you at a good place in your life before you start serving. And before yeah. we allow you to lead. Yeah. And, uh, I
2: need to see you live for Jesus for six months. Yeah, I need yeah. them to go yeah. through
0: growth track. I'm like, go through growth track, right. fill out our accelerate program, you know, like, yeah. so how do we do this, man?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I've said it for years and it was actually, I don't even know. I, I hate to say it sometimes, but I don't know if I was called into ministry <laughs> um, I, love that. Isn't that, <laughs> I never heard like this. I was actually sitting in rehab and I thought to myself, how do I stay off drugs? I never cared about myself. Um, a big thing with, with people and addiction sometimes is like, it's, you know, I grew up in church, so I was, af- I was actually afraid of suicide, but I, I was try- slowly trying to kill myself. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care about my actions, never did, but I always cared about other people. I can actually remember being in crack houses in Kensington. Uh, Philadelphia and just being like, man, you really need Jesus. And they're looking at me like, so do you, man. But I always cared more about other people. And I've learned this with people. When you become responsible for other people's lives, um, it makes you become responsible for you. At this point in my life, I'm a way better Christian because I'm a pastor. Um, and, and that's pretty vulnerable to say, but it's true. I think of the people I'm responsible for when temptation comes yeah.
0: my way. yeah.
2: Um, so when you can give people hard cases, responsibility, um, it makes them begin to think and understand and carry a weight that they didn't have before. Um, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, you got to give them all this time and stuff. Listen, God blinded Paul and then put him in the ministry. You know, it was just like, boom, boom. And so I think that, you know, you can do that. And, and again, it's a lot of grace and mercy. And I'm not saying give them the whole world, put them on stage and that kind of stuff, but begin to get them involved, get them into leadership, understand that the structures of leadership, that there's lower levels and higher levels and know where to put them. I don't, I don't immediately put people responsible for other people, but I'm going to get them involved in the sound booth or, or something like that to make sure that they start to feel responsible, even to be a church. Like, man, I, I got to get there to run the sound. I've got to be a part of this, you know, and it begins yeah. to give them hope because you believe in them. So definitely get, get, the hard cases involved right away. And again, when you do that, they'll become your most loyal.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love that. I, I try to invite people who are, um, you know, maybe they're struggling. And honestly, the thing that will help them get out of their funk is leadership. I just invite them to our pre-service prayer. And then they hear me say things to our leadership team. Like, so as leaders, and they're like, wait, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, then that, that self-identification yeah. sometimes first is the best piece because they're like, wait, why, why right. was I invited to them? And then I can have the conversation right. with them. Like, Hey, I don't know where you fit, but mm. I see a leader in you. I see God's hand on mm. your life. I right. see whatever I see. Um, and the, those are, right. that's kind of how I try to navigate some of those kids because those yeah. kids who are bold enough to be loud when you're preaching they don't care about being in church. They don't care about what other no. people
2: think. You're right. They are going to become right.
0: your best leaders, man, for sure. And I can attest they to that. They
2: really will. I had a, one of the stories I have is I had a young man. He was in leadership for about four or five months. He came to me. And he's like, hey, I need to step down. I was like, why? I'm just really tired. I was like, bro, you're 17. You're not tired. Like, <laughs> get out of here with that junk, you know? Um, <laughs> And so just through some stuff, he, we're sitting in the office and he starts to cry. And he said, actually, I've been dealing with homosexuality. I don't want to tell you because I think you're going to kick me out um, because of this that I'm dealing with. And um, so instead of telling you, I'm just going to quit. And I and I looked at him and I said, you think I'm going to kick you out because you're dealing with homosexuality? And he said, yes. And I said, um, actually, I'm going to probably promote you in the ministry. And he looked at me and he's like, what? And I said, you know, probably 90% of my young men that are in youth leadership with me are looking at porn every night and they won't tell me. The fact that you came to me and told me that you want to break this and that you're being honest with me, there's no way I'm removing you. We're going to build together. And in that moment where I did not kick him out and we began to work together and what he was dealing with, it shifted him, and he is one of the best leaders I have. He's still accountable to me. He trusts me, and and I love him, and he loves me, and, and he's living for Jesus. I mean, he's breaking it. He tells his story publicly. Um, he's living for Jesus, and he's doing it well. Um, is he perfect? No, but he constantly fights against it. If I would have taken him out of leadership because of this sin he brought to me, it could have ruined him.
1: So good. You know, one of the things, real practically, um, that you're talking about, Jeremy, there, which I think it's just—I just want to highlight because some leaders really are still struggling with this idea of like, how do I create a serving or a leadership opportunity for a kid who's going through a lot or having a lot of challenges? And probably one of the reasons, if you're thinking that way, that that you're struggling with it is because maybe your philosophy about how people serve and lead is that it's it's a one size fits all. Like everybody does everything, right? You know, one of the things that we coach here um, at, at Lead the Generation and any of our coaching sessions that we do is that that you have to create what we call first serve opportunities, opportunities for people to come in and right. serve. And they're not they're not really being put in a position of influence spiritually over, you know, their peers. Exactly. over the, yes. they're Just like an opportunity to serve and have ownership. And that's huge. And I'll, and I'll let either one of you talk about this for a second. But, but I, mm-hmm. I'm always encouraging youth pastors, like, if, if you don't create serving opportunities, um, by the time students become juniors and seniors in your youth ministry, they're usually going to leave because they have no ownership right. that, at that age. Mm-hmm. And so working hard to create all these connecting points relationally and connecting points in ownership and leadership is it's huge. Even if they're yeah. not spiritually ready to go lead worship, they're not ready to lead your prayer meeting not ready to pray with kids around the corner, mm-hmm. but you can find a place for them to serve.
2: Yeah. The best lingo I used for it. And I i mean, this is just practical, but we had student leaders and then I actually had student staff. Um, And so, because you have to build a student run ministry. I firmly believe that I, I wrote a, yeah. I don't have any anymore. I think I canceled it, but when I had a blog, I wrote it, it was called the youth pastor show must die. Um, and it's basically like, we should not be doing everything in our youth ministry. You know, yeah. it, give it to the kids, even let them preach. But so the youth leaders were what you said, servant, first serve, breeders, all that kind of stuff. Youth staff carried people, um, did small groups, did that kind of stuff. So and they carried a higher responsibility and actually made kids want to get on the youth staff because I would bless the youth staff with big dinners and all that kind of stuff. So
1: you need to bring that blog back. The youth pastor show must die. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. Fun. I probably should find it. So. That's good, man. Yeah. That's just
1: good. <laughs> really good. If you don't, all of a sudden you're going to see Peter Reeves has a brand new blog out called <laughs> "The Youth Pastor Show Must Die. They write it. He's going to to a YouTube it. channel
2: as well. So <laughs> I think mine got it. I think mine got at least 200 views. It was awesome. So.
1: <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> really good. Well, man, Jeremy, thanks so much um for joining us. This has Great. been such an incredible conversation. Yeah. Bro. Peter and I just appreciate you, you know, giving your time and, you know, being a part of this, this whole thing. Um, We'll give both you guys a chance to kind of give us some closing thoughts or closing comments. But, you know, just so many, so many good highlights to this conversation. Those of you that are joining us live, I'm glad you caught it live. If you're if you're listening after the fact um, real quick, Jeremy, how can they connect with you? Um, if they're not live with us, but they're listening afterwards, uh, what's the easiest way they could get a message to you or, or
2: find you out there in the, um, I, I check my DMS. You can, you can, uh, and my wife does too, just for <laughs> accountability. Um, <laughs> but I check my DMS on social media, but,
0: uh, <laughs> Smoke um, it like a pastor. So, he said for accountability. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you can, you can message me online or my email is jdonovan at dot and I'd love to help any way I can. Uh, if, if there's any, any advice I can give anybody in this subject, uh, let me know. Yeah. So, good. yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Peter,
1: closing thoughts, man.
0: Yeah. Closing thought is just that I love, thank you for sharing your story, bro. And uh, you are a product of the advice you just gave us today, the tips you just gave us, they worked in your life. And obviously, like I like this yeah. podcast saying, you're one of the best pastors around the nation uh, at what you do. And now you're in new spheres and doing different things. But um, thank you so much for the insight, man, because this is a this is a thing a lot of people are thinking about, but we're not talking about. So we appreciate you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So good. So good. Well, listen, friends, um, we'll be back with you again next week, uh, interviewing Jamie Paul. I want to encourage you, if you haven't checked out, the Student Leadership Podcast. Do that right away uh, because uh, we're producing some great podcasts several times a week, specifically for students uh, to encourage them uh, to grow in their leadership. And uh, so excited uh, for you to check it out and and see the resource that we've developed there. And um, appreciate you being with us. Jeremy, thank you once again. Uh, Those of you that are watching live, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part. Peter, as always, bro, we love you. Uh, glad you're here, and uh, we will see all of you next
2: week.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of LTG Live, and a special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's people
2: like you that make what we do possible. If you enjoyed this episode, consider investing at LeadTheGeneration.com as well as subscribing, sharing online, and tagging us at
1: LTG Conference.